Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to episode number two of the Parable Project. We really appreciate your support. And with this episode, we had some audio issues with the first time recording with two people from a remote location. So please bear with us. We are new to this, but we are improving and trying to get better. This podcast has some really solid information. Everything from registration deadlines to the Roma archery shoot that John and Grayson attended and a plethora of other stuff. And we want you guys to hear it. So we're going to move forward with letting this episode out there. Again, thank you so much for your support. We, just like all of our listeners, love all of our trees, but specifically Barabo. And we think that it is crucial that we get as much information out there as possible. This podcast is brought to you by Excess Wings. They provide quality veins that I have personally shot for five years now. With the different shapes and lengths, I've been able to find the perfect combo to match my shooting style. I was using the 70mm veins in my epic showdown with Dillinger this past summer at the US Open. I was extremely happy with the performance that it offered. With a gusty side wind, the 70mm with its low profile cut right through the wind and I barely had to aim up. If you're interested, check them out. Go to excesswings.com. It's an alignment issue. You know, it's not a release issue. I think that's the way it identifies. That's the symptom that is created, but the the initial cause of the problem is the alignment. All right, guys, welcome to the Bearbell Project. This is Frank McDonough. John Demmer. And we are bringing you episode number two. We have a plethora of announcements and news and things that we want to talk about. Gentlemen, what's going on? Grayson, where were you this weekend? Me and John were shooting up at GHA. You were in Ohio or something. Yeah, yeah I wish I could have been there. Uh, I was in uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, visiting some family. I had a chance to visit Calvin Smock, one of his local clubs, and uh, got to shoot with Bill Hunter. I had a good time shooting with him. Calvin, unfortunately, is recovering from surgery, so he couldn't be there. But yeah, we had a good time. Sorry I missed you all, though. Was that up in uh, Golden Grain? Uh, this was Bill Field and Stream. Uh, we okay. kind of rotate back and forth between the two. Good deal, man. Um, John came to visit me here at GHA, and we got to shoot some feeder together. We had a good time. Not not too bad. We figured out some bow tuning issues that he had going on, and we had an opportunity to do some filming on that uh, alignment video that Shameless Plug is currently up on our YouTube page, so make sure everybody goes over and checks that out. John, were you happy with this weekend? I know you weren't terribly happy with the score, but... Yeah, it was a, for me it was a very productive weekend. Um, got to work on a few things. Got to, was able to find a, a tune that, that was acceptable on one of, the, one of the rigs. So I can move forward with that one and uh, start comparing um, different tunes and try to find a, an even better one. Um, so it was... score wasn't great, but I got... Some useful information out of it. Um, it was, so it was productive for me. Well, that's good. I think uh, I think we'll just kind of roll right into our announcements because we have a lot of stuff we want to get through. So, um, Grayson, we're giving away a a, a Gelo riser. Yeah, one of my personal uh, Gelo 27-inch G1 risers. Uh, it's a matte blue riser. We're gonna don't know exactly how we're going to go about giving it away yet, um, but stay tuned to Facebook and our social media 
and we'll put the details out there. Uh, but it should be a good opportunity for someone who maybe doesn't have a, a high advisor to, to get a quality piece of equipment in their hand. So looking forward to doing that. Yeah, definitely. We'll be putting that out there shortly after the podcast is um, announced, and we will be announcing the winner at the Lancaster Archery Classic, people. So you definitely want to follow us throughout that week, and I'm sure we're going to have a lot going on, but um, that's the the plan is to announce that winner that weekend. Um, and speaking of Lancaster Archery Classic, we have our first like, – at, at the Lancaster Archery Classic – the Barebow Project has been invited to be a part of their Barebow Seminar. So this year, that seminar is January 23rd. That is a Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. Um, we are scheduled to be on the mezzanine. I'm pretty sure that's where we're going to end up. That's where it's been in the past. But we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, John, Grayson, any input on the seminar? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we're going to have PJ. I think PJ is going to be uh, kind of like a moderator, um, kind of similar job that uh, John Work uh, has has blessed us with um, throughout the years. Um, so hopefully we can uh, get PJ in, involved and uh, kind of make this thing as uh, fluid as possible. Yeah, it'll definitely be good to have PJ there. He's uh, he's good at that kind of thing. Where we're maybe not. <laughs> So definitely help it run a little bit more smooth and get our information across uh, a little bit better. We're 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 getting better at that. We're getting better. What? Yeah, you're right. PJ is very good, and I hope we can get some more people involved. I I know right now we were the three that were initially invited, but I know you know we've talked about trying to get maybe some of our friends that are visiting from other countries to to get involved. I think. Last year, you had a couple of our international barebow shooters on the panel, wasn't was that correct yeah, last we year? A, a, we had a good Q and A last year with a with a few of them. I think we had uh, Eric and Lena and Chinsi uh, on there. Yeah, so hopefully we can get them back. And there's some things that I know I would like to talk to them about or have them answer in front of everyone, especially with with regards to how they have grown Barabo in those other countries and John you and I have sort of touched upon this just in conversation you know what do what do we got to do over here to bump what we're trying to do to get ourselves to that next level but so anyways Lancaster Archery at the classic the Barabo seminar Thursday night 4 to 6 p.m. make sure you guys come and check that out that is free you know, and, and just to piggyback off of that, you need to watch the Barebow Project because we're going to be hosting our first Barebow Seminar here in late-ish winter at Grass Hollow Archery. Um, we don't have all the particulars of the seminar, but I think you can expect some coaching stuff for the first day, you know, how new coaches or even new shooters can get started, some basic tuning. And really, maybe just some bread and butter of Barabow. And then day two is definitely going to be probably more mental management, competition-oriented. Like I said, we, we need to hammer out some of the details. But that seminar is definitely something that we're looking to do. And maybe even do multiple over 2020. So look for that. The week before the Lancaster Archery Classic as well, here at grass hollow archery which we are having the yoast archery barebow 
warm-up. So what we do is we come in, Eric Yost from Yost Archery Products, our awesome sponsor, comes in. He has door prizes and swag that he gives away. We come in, we shoot a 300 round, and then everybody just shoots against everybody, and it's a good time. I mean, this year we're doing a little bit different. We're going to be shooting three ends instead of just one. Um, but you make your way through a bracket system, and it's just it's a good time for everybody to get an opportunity to get a little bit of that tournament pressure feel, specifically shoot-off feel. So, you know, check us out on Facebook. If you're interested in registering for that, you can email grasshollowarchery at gmail.com. It's January 18th. That is the weekend before, the Saturday before the Classic. So, Looking forward to that. That'll be a fun, fun little tournament. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, it's it's laid back. There's a lot of smack talking, but it's you know it's it's your typical bare bow event. You know, it's it's a good time for sure, and and I'm excited to have everybody and host everybody here. It's gonna. I will not be shooting. I will be running it, but I'm still excited. Whatever we can do to make things fun. What is the deadline to register for the classic? The well, that's that's a good question. The, the Lancaster Archie Classic. Registration officially closes January 15th, 2020. So, yeah, get on there. Yeah, get on there. You run out of time. Uh, it would be a great classic. How many we're, people? We're already above our numbers from last year. I think the Barebow men are over 160. Um, the female Barebow are right around 55 already. Mm. Um, so, yeah, 52 and 55. Yeah, it's crazy. We're, we're well good. above them. Awesome, and then we have indoor nationals, John. I know you have a little bit of a line item list of deadlines coming up, a handful, anyways. Do you want to rattle those off? Yeah, we have uh, got a few locations where the deadline's coming up. Um, Newberry, Florida, uh, deadline there is January third. We have a bunch of January seventeenth deadlines. We have those at College Station, Texas. Chula Vista, California, Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, Becker, uh, Minnesota, and Sacramento, California. Is deadline is January 31st, so they're fast approaching. Oh, we had, oh, I'm sorry, we got a couple more at uh, January 31st. We have Dayton, Ohio. Um, no, I guess that's it. So Sacramento and Dayton for January 31st. Those are fast approaching. Um, the rest are well into February. Uh, so don't forget to sign up for that. Um, we have some uh, early registration for the Vegas shoot is uh, January 21st. Um, after that, it's, it's no big deal. You can sign up after that. Um, you're just going to have to pay a $50 late registration fee. And don't forget, for the Vegas shoot, we have a new class that started last year. It's, it's the Barebow Recurve Flights. Um, that is a uh, class that's very similar to World Archery Barebow, uh, which is also similar to Lancaster Barebow Recurve. Um, that is in the flighted division. For the championship division, they have a Barebow class. Um, that is a uh, NFAA compound Barebow class, which allows compounds, V-bars, save uh, long rod uh, clickers. So keep that in mind. Um, you're more more than welcome to shoot. In either class, um, I think last year we had 150 sign up in uh, the Barebow Recurve flights. Um, it's a great opportunity for beginner Barebow shooters. You don't have to be a great Barebow archer to potentially win some money. You can definitely learn a lot of things going to that shoot.
that one. Also have uh, the Vegas shoot. Early registration for that is January 20th. After that, you're going to have to pay a $50 late registration fee. Um, so the biggest question I get from the Vegas shoot is that we have two barebow classes. We have the championship barebow, um, which is an NFAA barebow division that is compound, uh, V-bars, long rod, uh, clickers. Um, that's the championship class. Um, what we have for recurve would be the recurve barebow flighted class. Um, that's at a discounted price because it is a flight. Um, you don't have to be a tremendous archer to potentially win some money back. Uh, last year we had 150 archers. I think they divided us into either four or five flights for that. Um, I'm looking forward to that taking off even more. I'm hoping we get eh, around 200 shooters or so and we can get a bunch of bunch of flights going. Um, so yeah, that's the biggest question I get from that. So again, the uh, the flighted classes under the similar to World Archery Barebow. Um, the next one we have, we have NFA Indoor Nationals. We also just got a an adopted barebow recurve class in that as well. It's only right now it's only available for the adult and senior division. Um, we're looking forward to that having a uh, a decent participation, and then lead into you know the ad adaptation of the youth. Um, and maybe even uh, an additional senior division. But keep that in mind when you're signing up for NFAA Indoor Nationals if you want to shoot bearable recurve, similar to what the Lancaster bearable recurve rules are, similar to U.S. Archery and World Archery. That's going to be uh, the new class for NFAA. Um, the early registration date on that is uh, March 9th after that. You're going to have to pay a slight fee, and I believe you can pretty much walk up to that uh, shoot and sign up the Friday before. Awesome. Yeah, NFA is normally pretty lax on deadlines, but, um, but USA Archery, don't miss those deadlines because they will not let you shoot. Ask me how I know. <laughs> <laughs> so be on top of that. Good deal, fellas. Uh, we have to really hammer out. Give us a, some your point of view. What it was like going to the going to Italy to the Roma Trophy shoot, guys? Because you know, it all it all started out with um, I think uh, Grayson uh, was thinking about going. Um, it wasn't on my radar this year, um, but Grayson decided that that he wanted to give it a go, and I. You know, talk away about it, and she says, "Well, if he's going, you gotta go." I'm like, "All right, well." So I started, you know, I started running the idea of going, and we bounced it off of each other, and and just just talking about it. Uh, Eric said, "You know what? I might want to go," and uh, that's how that's how these great trips start. You know, you got one person that gets the bug to do it, and and then as soon as you know it, you have two other friends. Um, going along for the ride and you know we we booked the same flight going over uh we didn't get a chance to do a lot of talking on the plane because we were all really tired and uh so i was trying to get into the world 
Yeah, I think I slept almost the whole way over, which was not common for me. Um, I think uh, Eric had a little rough time, but we'll get we'll get into that a little bit later when we try to get Eric on um, talk about his uh, experience. But yeah, it's how these uh, these great trips start. You know, you get the bug. Um, next thing you know, you got a couple friends going, and uh, it's not just about shooting; it's about hanging out um, and experiencing uh, uh, the culture while you're you're at these shoots. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, that's that was definitely probably the most fun part about the whole trip was hanging out with new friends. Uh, definitely you and Eric. It, I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. I mean, it was such a great time. But meeting the new people, uh, people from all over the world that I have never seen before, and just spending time with them, laughing. I mean, we laughed so much. Uh, we had some, some good times, some we can't really share, but uh, <laughs> there were definitely some good times had. Yeah, so, well, some of the ones that uh, we hung out with, we hung out with uh, Michael Fisher, um, Hugo Lobb, uh, they're from, from down there, down in Australia, yeah. yeah. Um, Grayson got to learn some uh, Irish dialect, some of it, some of it he couldn't understand. <laughs> no, it's like a different language, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, but, you when know, you talk fast, you can't understand anything. So, some of them aren't too bad to understand. Like, we can understand Orla and, and, uh, and yeah, Sarah. Yeah, good. Sarah's pretty good, too. But when you get Alan going, Alan is Baron going. Alan, Alan in particular. Yeah. <laughs> we have to, like, we'll slow down a whole lot of seconds. Come again? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're, they're great people to hang out with. I, I definitely enjoyed um, just sitting around the table, talking, just reminiscing about the day, um, you know, what's going on in each other's lives. It was it was a good time. Yeah, and the setup we had there was pretty nice, having that whole apartment. Uh, so we had that, that big table in the, the common area where we could all kind of gather around and Know, bring dinner back and just talk for a few hours and have a couple of drinks. That was that definitely one of the highlights of the trip for me. Um, and I do have a picture of like 20 pizza boxes stacked up on the floor in the kitchen there. <laughs> That's pretty cool. We we ate a ton of pizza and bread while we were there. The food was incredible. Uh, I had tiramisu pretty much every day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. With carb overload. <laughs> yeah, bread for breakfast every morning. Uh, we did a fair, fair bit of walking, too. Um, we had to walk the bus stop into the train. Uh, we, we tried to take one taxi ride. That turned out to be a near disaster. <laughs> Holy cow. Never doing yeah, that you, Yeah, you uh, you had the ride with that one, didn't you? I did. She was She was special. She was, she was crazy. She had a five-star rating, too, and I, I do not understand it. Yeah, we had, we ended up trying to get one for six people. We booked one for six people. The first person to show up said no. We booked it for three, uh, which not was, which wasn't accurate. Yeah, Sarah booked it for six, but the lady said we only booked it for three or four or whatever. Yeah, that was just the, 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 the start with her. Yeah, you, so, you, so you had the you had the privilege of riding with her. We had the privilege of riding with uh, a nice older woman, uh, older man. Um, he seemed to be pretty pretty low key and, and uh, okay with the whole situation. And then 
your lady just like went berserk, like stopped in the middle of the road, caught out of her car and came to ours, pounded on the window, we rolled it down and she proceeded to yell at us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, telling her we gave her the wrong place. It was insane. I mean, cars were just flying by. She stopped in the middle of the road, blocking an intersection, gets out just to scream at, at you all, then gets back in the car. And she's talking to people on the phone the whole way. Her phone rings like 10 different times, and she's screaming at every single one of them. And it, it, was, it was something else. And yeah. the driving there, people are just going so fast, no turn signals. <laughs> it's just a free fall. So... After we got out and we paid like 50 euros for that trip, we were like, each not happening each, again. Yeah, each uh, each ride. <laughs> so yeah, that's we we walked to the bus and to the train, which it was much better. It, it, I mean, it took a little bit of effort and a little bit of time, but it was a euro each way, and we didn't have to deal with crazy ladies <laughs> or crazy drivers. No. The only thing we had to deal with, I think we dealt with one, one canceled train ride that we had to wait through, um, but that was that was about it. Um, for transportation is cheap. I think the most expensive. What was the most expensive one we had was the Leonardo Express coming back. Yeah, we were downtown Rome, seeing a Coliseum on the last day, and then go back to the airport. I think it was 14 euros for a nonstop trip all the way back, which wasn't too bad. Yeah, everything else was a euro. Yeah, so not bad at all. Yeah, I guess we'll have Eric on hopefully sometime later this week, and we can go more in, in depth with it. Uh, he picked up a new nickname in Rome. Nick. Yeah, Ernie McIntyre. Ooh. <laughs> if you want the full details on it, come see me in person. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got some good stories. Well, he neglected to bring that up this weekend. Just saying. I don't think he's gonna really bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah, think he's gonna bring it up in public. Oh, I can't wait. All right. Well, how many of the people that you stayed with that that core group? How many of them are coming to the classic? Uh, Michael Fisher is coming. Hugo Lobb is coming. Um, Eric, myself, and John will definitely be there. Obviously. Uh, Sarah, she's coming. Oh, nice. I think that's it. I don't think the rest yeah. of them are going to be there. Yeah, but, yeah, shout out to Hugo. We did not mention him, but uh, probably should. He's 15 yeah. years old. He's from Australia. And he is already an incredible archer. He shot very well last weekend in Rome. I think he shot a 539 in qualifications. Yep. And then advanced to the final eight. Wow. Yep. In the elimination matches. He's just, he's really beyond his years as far as maturity and, you know, his shot at this point. He's, he's a, a phenomenal talent to watch for the classic. You don't, he's, a, he's the kind of guy that you don't want to run into because he is, he is young, he's green, um, he shoots fearless. Uh, he, he's just, yeah, he's, like you said, he's, he's well beyond his years already. Um, He's going to be one. From an archery standpoint and just a maturity standpoint, he's a great guy. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be one of the greats, I think. Definitely think he could do some damage at the classic, and he could probably put up a anywhere from five forty to five sixty, and he's already shooting 
I mean, you guys shot well. Well, you shot. I know your expectations are higher. I think, Grayson, you shot a 550. And, John, did you shoot a 
yeah, overall it wasn't too bad. The lighting was a little darker than probably what we're used to. Um, the environment was definitely, I think the environment was more laid back because we got to talk to a lot of different people throughout the shoot. Yeah, the environment wasn't too bad. I, I thought it was fairly laid back. Everybody seemed laid back as well. Um, but the lighting was, it was, it was a little dark in there. Um, you know, with the, the ceiling being so high and, I don't know, it just, it didn't put a lot of light down near the target. And even, even on the practice day when there's no pressure, no nerves, no anything, groups still weren't as tight, even though shots felt pretty good. Huh. Um, so I, I definitely think it, that's, that's a place that it would be really difficult to shoot a high score, regardless of the amount of nerves or pressure you have. Yeah, I don't think that place will, especially barebow where we have to aim with the with the point and the target. I don't think that's going to be very conducive to any kind of world record um, score. Um, compound and recurve seem to do okay, but I know personally, uh, every time I shot there. Uh, well, I should say last year I shot there. I shot. I was going into that shoot shooting fairly hot, and uh, I didn't end up shooting the score that I was hoping for. Um, only because I don't think that location can do that for me. Um, if you can even get close to what you think you should shoot, then it was probably a good shoot. Who uh, who ended up being your your winners? for the Roma Archery Trophy shoot? Uh, for the men, it was Frederick Lundmark. And the women, it was Cynthia from Italy. I don't want to ruin her last name. Uh, that, that's okay. That, uh, that shoot-off between her and, was it Lena, right? I think we're first and yeah. second. That shoot-off was pretty amazing. Yeah, that was absolutely incredible. Yeah, they started out slow, but after that first, uh, that first set, man, it, they caught on fire. It was pretty. It was pretty cool to watch. Um, you know, going blow for blow, ten for ten. It was pretty. It was pretty neat. I don't know when we're going to see something like that again, but yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah, it was cool to see Airbows shoot up to their potential in a final. Finally, because we always kind of shoot a little lower than our potential. Yeah. But to, to finally see that, it was it was really awesome, and I'm glad it was on the, the live feed, and it'll be on YouTube, and people will be able to see that. That's, that's really great. They, they performed so well. Very happy for both of them. Yeah, and we're... On side, that was, that was the show to watch. Um, not to take anything away from the men, um, but, I mean, the, the women laid it down, and they pretty much made it impossible for the men to even come close to what they did. Yeah. I mean, they just blew it out of the water, really. I have to off to both of them. So what did you think about the final setup? Do you think that was a pretty decent pretty decent way they did it? As far as the uh, the stage and the lighting and everything? Yeah. Spectators? Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, similar to Lancaster, but different and uh, you don't have somebody talking to you in between ends and the lighting is a lot different at Lancaster it's all dark with just the lights and the spotlights on you um, but yeah it looked pretty cool uh, I would have been nervous if I were up there yes for sure it, I, it definitely made me want to be there <laughs> yeah well I wanted to be on that on that stage but it just didn't work out uh, 
I ended up getting knocked out by Frederick. Um, that seemed to be about really the time where he got, yeah, he, that's, that would seem to be about the time he got really hot. Um, yeah, even <laughs> if I was shooting my best, I don't know. I don't know if I could have withstood, withstood that. But you ran into a hot shooter, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he's from Italy. He's, um, he's probably in his 60s now, but, man, he can still shoot. Uh, 15 or 20 years ago, he was one of the best in the world, so I'm told. Um, yeah, Eric came up and told me that he remembers shooting field against him, and he was an excellent shooter. He still is, and he got really hot at the, the wrong time for me. He started shooting 29s, and, you know, I was losing shooting 28s and 27s, so uh, not much you can do with that. Just tip your hat to him and say, good job. I was happy for him. Yeah, that's the thing about these head-to-heads is you don't know uh, what's going to happen. Um, you can be the underdog. Um, some people even say that being the underdog can be a great benefit because you don't really have that expected pressure on you. Um, yeah. And you can really sneak up on people and, and really uh, knock some great shooters out. Yep, it's, it's definitely doable in the head-to-head for sure. Um, I, I feel like the lower seeds, like you were saying, they, they don't have the same pressure on them. Uh, they, they don't expect to win, maybe. So they can shoot more loose, more free, and maybe up closer to their potential. Whereas maybe the higher seed feels the pressure, oh, I'm a higher seed. I should win this match, so they're a little tighter and more prone to make mistakes. Yeah, and that kind of that kind of system can kind of encourage um, more people to come out and play because uh, you know it, it gets cut down to three arrows. You know, yeah, you have to win that three. Yeah, you have to win that three arrows. So anybody could win a point, two points, and you never know what kind of role you can get on. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely fun for. Um, for everybody that way. If, you know, you shoot 60 or 120 arrows, uh, normally the more consistent shooter will will win over the the longer span of arrows, but when you condense it down to, you know, three arrow ends or 12 arrow matches, it it really can be anybody's game, and I can see where that's fun for for most archers. Yeah, uh, it's a cool event. Um, Hopefully it keeps getting bigger. On the barebow side, I think I think our numbers for barebow were a little bit higher this year than they were last year. Um, what are they in in com, uh, comparison to the Lancaster Archie Classic? Uh, the numbers for barebow. Yeah, you know, I I don't remember the numbers offhand. I want to say there was. I mean, I can look it up real quick, but I want to say there were some around seventy men and thirty five women. Yeah. Yeah, definitely lower numbers than the than the classic. Um, I I think this is a tournament that can and probably should grow going forward. Uh, there's a ton of barebow shooters in Europe, and this is a fairly easy tournament to get to for them. I would think um, you you can stay in the city fairly cheap, and mm-hmm. flights in Europe aren't that expensive. So if you're a barebow shooter in Europe. I don't know why you wouldn't go to the tournament. You can meet so many phenomenal archers and have a great time. I think it's definitely something you should put on your calendar. I think the a little strategy for the Americans that ever, if they ever want to go there, um, if 
sometimes it's best to try to find two round trip tickets. Uh, I know friends in the past have done a round trip to like say a JFK or you know depending on what air uh, what airport was offering the cheapest fare, but like say JFK to their home their home airport and then do another round trip, try to catch catch a connected flight a couple hours later and then you know do one from JFK to to Roma or something. Um, I know I had friends that saved like 600 bucks last year by doing that as opposed to doing one round trip from their, their home airport. So that's something. Yeah, that's exactly what I did this year. Uh, I flew from Dallas International to JFK and then met up with you and Eric there and uh, flew from JFK to Rome. So it, it saved me a few hundred bucks going it that way. Uh, JFK was definitely the cheapest fly out of for me when I was looking. Um, and if you're on the East Coast, it's really not an expensive trip for a USA archer either. Uh, you can find flights from JFK for probably around 400 most years, I would think. Wow. And if you can find somebody to split a room with in Rome, you can do it for under 200 euros a piece, definitely. Um, so it can be fairly inexpensive for an international trip. Yeah, I think for me it's it's almost the same as doing something out in California. Uh, very similar airline costs and lodging and stuff is it's really really close. I I gotta point out though, you said that this, this is probably one of their biggest tournaments over there, right? Um, for a bearable indoor, it's probably the it might be the second. First or second most pre prestigious for indoor. Um, okay. They also have the JVD open. Right. Um, right now, uh, and that's for the Europeans. That's kind of prestigious too. Yeah, I think so, those are the definitely the biggest. It, yeah. it I guess the. Yeah, hopefully. Oh. No, go ahead, John. I was gonna say hopefully uh, next year. Hopefully next year, um, when they open up the indoor Nash or the the indoor format. Maybe we can get lucky and they open up memes or, um, yeah, yeah, memes would be a really big one if they ever opened up that one. That one's a huge shoot. That's like second to Vegas, right? Um, for numbers, and it would probably, honestly, it's probably third. Um, Vegas would be the biggest, Lancaster would be the second biggest, and then memes would probably be the third biggest. It's a, it's a huge shoot. That'd be awesome. It boggles yeah, my mind. We'll probably be going. Yeah. It boggles yeah, my mind on that. If they have it memes, I'll probably do memes. If they don't, I might try to sneak in the, the JVD open. Yeah. It's crazy to me that they have that shoot and they have all of those shooters that are shooting 540 plus scores, you know, or 530, 540, 550, whatever. And there's only half the amount of people there that's registered for the Lancaster Archery Classic. But here at the Classic, we have so many people signed up on both divisions now and but the score comparison like there there isn't one compared to what they're shooting in Italy and this um, um, just all of our foreign counterparts in the bareboat world yeah I think our upper end is kind of close but uh, on yes. average they, right. they're definitely uh, we had a lot of this year is surprising. We had a good handful of 550 shooters 
Um, we had a, a decent amount of 540 last year. 540s was the high, and there was only a couple. I think there might have been three. Um, this year we had five or six. We had David, David, you, um, Derek, Michael, and myself. Yeah, I think there were five of us. Yeah. So that was Which is pretty impressive for international competition. Um, yeah. Definitely, definitely pretty cool. Yeah, that's... Yeah, hopefully we can kind of re repeat that at, at the, the Classic this year and get try to get a good handful of 550-plus shooters. Maybe maybe someone will be really good and throw down a 590-plus. That's possible. I mean, yeah. it, it would take a, a good day by somebody, but I think it's, it's doable. 580 for sure. Yeah, 580 will happen eventually. 590 is going to take a good day. Yeah, even, you know, I'd, I'd be super impressed for even 570 plus, even counting 11s. I mean, sometimes yeah. we can get get a good round going and we can catch close to 20 X's. Um, we might not at Vegas, or might not at Lancaster though, but even a 570 there is still quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah, anything over 560 with the raw score, I think, is is really, really, really good at a big tournament like that. Yeah, you don't really see that very often, so. But it'll be cool. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, hopefully someone can lay it down. Who knows? Maybe even our Frank can. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I don't know about maybe. that. Hey. Lately. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, blind squirrel finds an acorn every once in a while there gentlemen i would say that um my newfound epiphany of barabo in the last actually well how about this since we recorded the last time the last time we recorded my high score was a 526 i think ish 526 529 so i mean but a lot of light bulbs have gone on a lot of things are are things that I knew, but I think just on the mental side and, you know, are really, um, falling into place and, you know, it's, it's all the, the true testament or the true tests I should say is under pressure, not just a local tournament either. I mean, the epiphany of trying to figure out what the heck I needed to do to up my score. And then one night, literally just a light bulb went on and things were flowing and somehow i ended up shooting a 557 i mean and it was a legitimate there were no arrows that were close that i called like everything was i was actually pretty hard on myself as far as arrow calls and um it was a legitimate 557 and i had just gone back to a single spot i had been shooting three spots for probably the better part of a month and I shot the Lancaster Archery winter warm-up on a three-spot and completely, it was just an epic failure. I mean, I missed one arrow in each half and ended up with like a 490-something. And which, had I hit those two, may say I made them, you know, a 10 or something like that, it would have been okay. But, and it just, I don't know, everything just started working. And then, John, you and I shot um, yesterday and... I managed a couple of training rounds in between, and yesterday I shot okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not gonna say I shot bad. I shot a 541, I think. You know, yeah, so 40, it's 
Yeah, 41 or 42. You did you did well. That was probably the best I've seen you shoot ever, really. Um, was, that your, was that your best score that actually counted? That was my best score that actually counted in a sanctioned event, yes. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely some bright moments where I know what's, you know, I know exactly what I need to do. And I know what it feels like for it to be a shot that's going to hit the middle. And I, you know... So what was your biggest change that you think you made in the last month? Um, I figured out how to shoot, how to clear up my vision and shoot with both eyes open, uh, number one. Number two, I would say I have upped my volume of arrows, um, which is also something that we talked about during the first podcast. Um, and I would say number three is just the mental decision that, damn it, just put the arrow there and run your shot. Put it there, run your shot. There's absolutely nothing from nothing holding you back from putting the arrow there other than your brain. Because my form is good. So is there a trick? Is there a trick that you uh, that you use to be able to see uh, everything a little bit more clearly now? Yeah, I, that you didn't do before. Yes. Yeah, so I had when I even when I shot Olympic recurve, I had issues seeing and 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 messed around with like scotch tape on my glasses and stuff like that. But at the time, I wore contacts all the time. Um, now I wear glasses most often only because I shoot so much and it's easier for me to take a piece of, I take black or some color, random color kinesio tape and I cut it to fit on the outside edge of my glasses. I would say about maybe three quarters of an inch wide so that when I, when I do turn my head um, in my full drop position, it blanks out my left eye, and that clears up the tip of the arrow while I'm looking at the target for my aim. So I have, um, and Chris, uh, Chris Derricola, shout out to him. I get, we worked together for about an hour today after he shot this morning, and I had showed that little nifty trick to him when I shot their money shoot a few weeks ago. Um, which is probably one of my first real solid performances. I mean, it was a money shoot. It wasn't a sanctioned event, but I shot like a 531. You know, that's the first time I, mm -hmm. I, that was a PR. So, you know, I PR'd in that and then shot the 41 yesterday. So I PR'd there and then I had, I hit my first 280 in training. And, you know, being able to relax those muscles on the left side of my face and into my neck. And it, this isn't, what's crazy is this isn't stuff that I didn't know. But for some reason, I didn't apply it to barebone. I don't know why. And maybe because my expectations were, weren't quite as high. Or my, my, my motivation wasn't as high. Because I was still learning my way through learning barebow And learning the tuning. And just, just kind of dealing with the target panic and stuff. But little did I know that that little trick. I had used that with Olympic recurve. That little trick carried over to, well, why the heck not? Why wouldn't it work? You know? And there's a couple other things that with just, and you and I touched about that a little bit in our, our alignment video. Like, there's other things out there that still carry over to barebow that aren't necessarily a barebow thing. It's just an archery thing. You know? And in that instance, it's just the, the idea that you want to have as little muscle engagement as possible if 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 at all possible you know and and that keeping one eye open and the ability to relax the muscles on the left side of the face 
that ultimately carries down into your shoulder, your bow arm shoulder, and into your traps. So, I mean, that's been a huge help. And I know Grayson and I talked about this, Grayson, the last time you were up, and you said how, like, you, if you close your left eye, like, you, it sooner or later, you can get you can get pretty jumpy, and the target panic can can rear its head. If for me, if I close one eye, I can aim more precisely, but doing that will make me have some more anxiety normally because you want to be too precise, and it just it, it can just build and snowball into a, a target panic that you, you, you don't want. So I, I try to keep both eyes open and keep the aim kind of loose and just let it do its thing. Yeah. I mean, so I would say, John, that was probably the biggest change is, is the little, it, it enabled me to not have to worry about aiming. Um, it enables me to, I already have pretty good alignment. I have a pretty good form, so I don't have to worry about that. It's just a matter of being comfortable letting that the tip of the arrow float at that six o'clock position and of the gold, letting it float and let that float be as nice and calm and still and and whatever I gotta do so that I can execute the shot. And I mean, I've gotten to the point now, like I can I know what I need to do to make that go in the middle. There's no I don't get crazy random flyers where I'm like, I don't know what happened. That doesn't happen anymore. It's a matter of if it didn't go in the middle, I know why it didn't go in the middle. And most of the time it's because either I get stuck low or my release, um, I try to over aim a little bit and, or, or, you know, do a drive by, <laughs> I just do a, you know, a little, I zip it by there and try to let go at the right time. I mean, it doesn't happen near as often as it used to because I'm able to relax more at full draw now. I'm, I'm definitely shooting more relaxed than I've ever shot. So, I mean, and I think that explains, that's, that's, that explains why the scores have all of us, why I've made these big jumps. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely on the right track, I think, and it's cool to see your improvement. Uh, hopefully you can keep it rolling and putting up good scores. Hope so. I mean, the, but the true test will be in the, on the, the, the bigger stage per se, you know, indoor nationals, Lancaster Archer Classic, stuff like that. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. Um, I mean, and we yeah, can. Yeah, you your shot and don't worry about the score as much as you can. Yeah. That's the plan. That's that's yeah, always the plan. Keep, if you keep doing the right things that you're supposed to be doing and that you apparently are, we might be seeing you in the final eight shoot off you know, nope. for the U.S. Archery and Bird. That would be a lot of fun. You might be winning the big money. Yeah. The big money is at the classic. <laughs> you're going to have to knock off Rick because uh, right now he's the reigning champ of the uh, indoor finals. Was he the champ last year? I guess he was. He beat Grayson, right? Yeah, he won. Yeah. He, knocked, he knocked off me and then Grayson. <laughs> he was in the old guys. Uh oh. Every oh. Single time. Yeah, well, he, maybe I'm the next yeah, old guy. <laughs> yeah, next thing we'll know, we'll be losing to Frankie, another old guy. Oh. <laughs> I can't say a word. I've walked myself right into that one. You know, it, it's it's all good. We need we need some more barebow blood to give you guys a push. And if I can contribute to that, I want to. Trust me, no offense. I mean, you guys are very good friends, but I don't want nothing more than to beat both of your butts. So, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not. 
We want to beat you too, Frank. Oh, I know, yeah. and you have, and it doesn't. You don't need to remind me. I, I wouldn't say we want to beat Frank. We just don't want to lose to Frank. No, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Touche. Don't worry. Your day will come. Your day will come. But anyway, so uh, you know, it's going good, and thank you for noticing, and thank you know both of you. Thank for your help too, and your, you know, while the the razzing is fun. In all honesty, your support is definitely a lot better, and it's made it has made a difference for sure. And I, and maybe that's a little bit of a testament to why we started this thing because we want to kind of uh, afford that to the rest of the barebow community as best we can, you know. And and just as a, I guess as a segue, we we did that the alignment video, which has been really well received comments on youtube the video is currently on the youtube but i don't know if grayson you got a chance to watch the whole thing or not but i know john and i spent some time yesterday filming it and john you ended up dare i say just had a little bit of an epiphany of yourself you know you were like whoa that's 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 what's supposed to feel like you know what i mean yeah sometimes sometimes we walk into those aha moments that we already know, mm -hmm. that we already been down that road, but we find it again. Yeah, we get sidetracked, and uh, we lose it. And then it's like, oh yeah, duh, idiot. <laughs> this is what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> Not whatever it was. To watch it. I just yeah. get a chance to watch it. It was pretty good. Um, and you can definitely tell when you're in perfect alignment shot just feels so much easier everything feels so so good uh so it was definitely cool to see you guys put that out there hopefully it helps a lot of people because if you can get yourself in, in perfect alignment it just makes the whole shot so much easier and flows so much better you know the, the topic came up because somebody else was there earlier and had a you know just was, would have an end where it was great and then it would just get these random flyers and we're watching they um, know why. and yeah, had no idea was yeah. they didn't know why so i took a slow motion video if you had a, a good coaching eye or just good at observing things you could definitely pick that out pretty easy what the problem is but as a shooter sometimes we don't know we need that extra um set of eyes to watch out yeah it, you, you have to be used to looking for it as well i mean i'm kind of fortunate in that regard because i'm Six days a week, I'm looking at that stuff for both compound and, and Olympic recurve and barebow shooters. But I, I took out my phone and put it on just slow motion and timed it with the release. And then, you know, that prompted the discussion between me and me and John where I was like, you know, that's that's an alignment issue. You know, it's not a release issue per se. I think that's the way it identifies. That's the way that's the the symptom that is created but the the initial cause of the problem is the alignment because you can't get there from here with a release if your alignment is that is is off it was spe specifically that far off and that prompted the discussion and we we're like you know we should really shoot a video on this because when we watch videos on all facebook and other social media instagram Every single group that's out there, even in some of the, um, you know, the trad archers, the the any the guys shooting wooden bows, you see it a ton. 
a ton where that, you know, they have this, and I, I call it, I, I, maybe it's not the best term, but it's like a, it's almost like a, um, a facade of a release where they have that follow through back to their shoulder, but it doesn't, doesn't really signify, it doesn't make it, of, it doesn't validate your release at all. If your alignment is off, it doesn't validate it. it all it does is mean that you kind of show at the finish that you had this um, fake back tension. I don't, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to describe it, but um, yeah, it's, it, it, it is kind of fake. It's a little bit forced. Forced um, is probably a better word. That's what we're that's what we're told to do. We're told to we want that that straight back follow through. Um, so that's what people strive. for. To do even if they're not in alignment and that's that's why we made it the other thing reason why we made that was because like you said most of the videos that we see hardly anybody is actually in alignment um, it's actually a very rare thing unfortunately but hopefully you know videos like that can get out there and, and can help a lot more people see what they're doing wrong mm -hmm. and kind of show them what position they really need to be in to to help that easy, free, back tension, full release. Yeah, it, it. I think the other important aspect of it is you constantly get people asking about mental game. You're getting them asking about target panic and all this stuff, and they're, they want to know all these other details. And then you watch them shoot, and you're like, but your alignment isn't even right. You're not even going to be able to conquer target panic if your alignment is that far off. If you can't... You're going to make target panic really hard to overcome, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and the more you try to control it, the worse the worse you're going to get. You know, you you only have the... Yeah, you, start forcing, you start forcing things more and more, um, which can lead you down to the road that I was probably in, and that's what ended up getting out of alignment and forgetting some of the things that I should have remembered. So I'm make the physical shot much easier, which makes the mental shot run a lot smoother. If you're fighting physically, then you're going to start fighting mentally, and it's going to snowball from there. The body has to be in a very specific position. Now, it's not a matter of, the th like the three of us, for example, may get to that full draw, that recurve wedge position in a different manner. The, what matters is that we get there. Um, in my opinion, you know, I, I can't move my head. I got to keep my head as still as possible. I do move it a little bit, but not a lot because that's the form that I had for years in other, in other disciplines. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to, and it worked and it, it does work. And it's within, you know, the foundation of, of, of a training system for archery that I know, which is the NTS, the national training system for USA archery. Yeah, it, it works for me. Plug. That's my yeah. daily plug. But I mean, it, it's worth plugging because it's all we it's what we got. And it, you know, it doesn't we need to build off of something. And the NTS is is researched. It's 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 not like we just fabricated this thing and that's what we're using. It's it works. It it does absolutely work. It's limited on how it carries over to Barebow, but it does carry over. So that's what I, I'm, I'm proof that you can, you can um, adapt from a previous shooter and a different discipline to barebow, but you have to 
you have to marry the two and you have to find the things that work and the things that don't and you know it's when it comes to the target panic i mean sometimes the target panic is enough to drive you out of your form and it and it messes with your brain so much that you forget to to the sh the rotation you forget the way your release is supposed to feel and and then all of a sudden you're just derailed you know how many how many people do we see talk about that online we're like oh you know i used to shoot the target panic got so bad i stopped shooting you know, we don't want people to do that. We want we want to retain people shooting, especially barebow shooters. But I don't care what discipline you're shooting. We want to retain as many people as we can in archery. So we have to put as much information out there as we can to make sure that that happens. So a topic. But so you thought the video was good, Grayson? Think it was worthwhile? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I liked it. Uh, I think it can definitely help some people as well. That I missed yeah. it and couldn't be there, but. I think you guys did a good job, and I, and I think if people keep posting videos um, in our group, that we can get you know more ideas, more more thoughts of what we can put out there um, to try to reach out to, to more people um, and try to help show other common issues uh, and and fixes. Yeah, well, we, we encourage people to do that. We want to try to help as many as we can. Well, obviously, time is of the essence with us. We all work full-time jobs. So, you know, we'll, we'll do the best we can to address any issues that we can. Um, with that being said, we did have, uh, I put out a post asking for some Facebook questions. Some, you know, what things do you want to know? And we had, oh, I think we have 97 comments on that specific post, so that's kind of cool. But I picked out three specific ones, and that's the ones we're gonna quick, uh, we're gonna quick hammer those out, all right, guys? Okay. So our our good friend from over at Archery 360, um, Scott Einsman, Scott, I hope I'm saying your last name right. Um, he he wanted he had like he rattled off like five questions, but I only took one. So Scott, you're gonna have to wait for for the other ones and he wanted to specifically know about target panic i'm like dude that's going to be like a whole series so we're not even we're not going to touch that in depth right now but um scott will have to tell you you're just gonna have to come to the to the seminar in late winter that's that's the shameless plug for that um but his question was how to get started in barebow and avoid all of the common pitfalls uh john you want to you want to start on that Ooh. Um, well, I'd say the, the easiest track to take would be find um, a very reputable coach um, and talk to them, get as much information from them as possible, preferably hands-on. Um, someone like Frank or maybe John Winker, um, somebody like that, that that can instill good fundamentals. Um, it's just like any other sport. We need to have that good fundamental base. That would be the best way to do it, I think. Find someone that's gonna teach you everything, you know, basic stuff from stance to you know, draw approach, aiming, to form alignment, that would be the safest. Probably one of the most dangerous would be asking people don't necessarily have the knowledge yet or just want to maybe instill some, something like the, the old uh, Fred G. Asbell 
would be my suggestion is to find a good, knowledgeable coach that's going to teach you everything from the basics. So you definitely need that, that good foundation. Yeah, agreed. Grayson? It's going to be tough for a lot of people to do that. Um, but that is definitely the best way. Somebody like Frank or John would be phenomenal. Not everybody has access to that, unfortunately. Um, if you don't, try to find as much uh, information from good shooters as you can. Go to tournaments and meet them, ask them questions. Um, hopefully, you know, we can do some seminars and maybe help some, some new folks as well. But, yeah, well, what John said about finding a, a reputable coach or a reputable shooter, somebody who's proven that they can perform and has a good grasp on what they're doing, I think that will definitely help a lot of folks in the long run. Yeah, I don't even think it has to be a barebow specific coach. If you want to – Olympic recurve is definitely more common than barebow right now. Um, so you might even have a great uh, Olympic archer near you, like we were down at Proline. Um, Joe McGlynn is an awesome archer, um, and he's a great coach. Um, even somebody like him could help you out with um, the basic foundation of a shot um, with just a slight twist. You only have to add the, the slight twist of anchor point. Um, everything else, almost everything else carries over. So even uh, a good Olympic recurve coach is something that, that you can find and lean on. Yeah, definitely, especially if you're really, really new or early on. Uh, getting the fundamentals from an Olympic recurve coach is a great way to start uh, because, like you said, a lot of that does carry over. Um, as you progress, you, you, you are going to want to change your approach up to a more barebow-specific style, um, so you will need to kind of branch out. But from the beginning, if, if you can emulate you know, a lot of the Olympic form, you're, you're going to be off to a, a good start. And, and uh, just to, to quick touch upon that, in case – you know, hypothetically, some coaches jump in on our podcast and they're like, well, I, you know, I will, hopefully we get some Olympic recurve coaches or even compound coaches that are like, well, hey, I want to learn how to coach barebow or I want to get some information on barebow and they listen. First of all, John Winker is a great asset to the barebow community. He's got first flight archery down in, see in Virginia or North Carolina, North Carolina, right, Grayson? North Carolina, yeah. Yeah, so shout out to him because he is—he was a USAP member for 3D, the 3D national team, I think, right, John? Yeah. And so, you know, he's in North Carolina, and as we come across these coaches or people that we know, we will definitely try to put them out there. But, you know, with the Olympic recurve form, some of the things that, that you, as a coach, should learn is and I'll tell you what I do and and just kind of explain it from there. Teach the open stance right from the get go for a barebow shooter. That's my opinion. It doesn't mean that you have to do that, but it's it transfers over. It is doable and the vast majority of Olympic recurve shooters shoot somewhat, if not an extreme open stance. You don't have to be super extreme for barebow. Um but it, it does transfer over. It is doable. Number one. Number two, go to the anchor and just try to learn how to um, anchor at the corner of your mouth and start at three fingers under corner of your mouth. You don't have to do that. Sure, there's probably guys out there who still shoot split finger and 
I will. I do not teach that. If somebody's coming in to teach to learn barebow, there's no split finger happening. It's so much easier to teach a new shooter or someone transferring over to barebow with three fingers under because one, you don't get the problems with their arrow popping off the rest, um, and number two, it's just easier to find an anchor point that way, and and be able to aim with the tip of the arrow than if you anchor under your chin. So. You know, an Olympic recurve shooter is transferring from under the chin to up to the corner of the mouth, and it makes it easier to aim. And then I teach the aiming with the tip of the arrow right from the beginning. You know, no questions. I teach them. I teach them how to look at the target, see the tip of the arrow in their peripheral, and I try to get them to shoot with both eyes open, if at all possible, right from the beginning. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, and then you have to make some adjustments from there. But I mean, and then yeah, probably the biggest difference between a lot of the styles is going to be your setup and your coach has to be open-minded to possibly change the setup a little bit mm -hmm. so that we are going to be using the arrow um, that we need to get that arrow in alignment of what we want to hit uh, one of the bigger problems I see is people aiming off target which aiming off target can be okay mm -hmm. um, depending on what distance you're shooting. Sometimes we have to aim over because uh, we're, we're well past our point on. But I don't like hearing people that have to aim way right or way left on top of, you know, aiming way, you know, low and high. Um, yeah, that's not setting yourself up for success. Yeah, we're, we're perfectly capable of getting that bow set up. Uh, so we're always aiming underneath what we're trying to hit yeah that's it's definitely um a, a situation where bear it would be behoovious of a, a shooter or a coach i mean i'm sorry It'd be behoovious of a coach that is coaching olympic recurve to at least test it a little bit and, and learn it which is kind of how i got started in it you know you have to have at least some some level of experience to really understand it but you were talking about um the the idea of where you change it up and you have to anchor a specific way i don't know if that you said that or i said that so i'll cut that out but the coach a coach needs to know at least some basic level of tuning in order to aim with the tip of the arrow do you know what i mean like you have to you have to understand well my tip of the arrow i'm in the middle and i'm hitting you know, however far to the left or to the right, understand at least the basics of spine issues and how to tune a recurve bow. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be the trickiest part, but that's something that would definitely set us up for success. I haven't met a lot of people that can outshoot. I don't know if I've ever met anybody that can outshoot someone that aims down the middle that is aiming way off to one side or the other. Uh, I don't think you'll ever meet them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, back to Scott's question, it, it's going to be hard to avoid all pitfalls and all mistakes. You're going to have to go through some mistakes and a learning process to get where you want to go. Um, but like we said, find a, a coach that can teach you the basic form first. Um, and then after that, try to find somebody who has had some success with barebow and can help you with setup and approach and aiming. Um, and go to as many tournaments as you can. 
tournaments help because you can find so many archers and ask questions to anybody you see, and yeah. everybody's willing to help you. And that's kind of the roadmap I would lay out for you. That's almost similar to what you've done now. Or Grayson. Uh, well, you, but Grayson. I think Grayson's first approach was, I think you, I think you did a lot of stuff on your own in the, in the very, very early beginning. In no. the very beginning, I was kind of kind of going off of what I saw in uh, some videos online. Uh, just jumped off the deep end and went to a tournament, didn't know anything or anybody, and happened to get super lucky and meet you and Paul Vogel. And that just, I would not be where I am today had I not met you two at that tournament. Had I not gone to that tournament, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. So get out there and go to tournaments. You never know who you're going to meet. Meeting you two really accelerated my progress. Um, just watching and learning from the both of you helped me tremendously. Yeah, that's a good lesson to, to get out there, put yourself out there, um, to seek out to seek out people, seek out help, the right help. Yeah, if you're on the East Coast, you're going to have a, an easier time with it you know, because there's a ton of us kind of strung up and down the, the East Coast, but uh, the West Coast is going to be a little tougher and, you know, Midwest probably tough as well. But if you're on the East Coast, I mean, you're within a couple hours drive of great shooters pretty much no matter where you're at. And we're all willing to, you know, meet up at shoots and help out as much as we can, hang out afterwards, or even meet up just to, to practice. Next we, we really went into that one. Um, so really the last question, the last question <laughs> is uh, Shane uh, Johnson Geshwing. I'm not sure if I'm saying that name right either, but that's a long name there, Shane. But Shane's got like a two-parter. And his first, the number one question is making small adjustments in the point-on 18-meter game. So uh, well, before I even mention the second one, what... I'm assuming this is the way he's asking it, but what small adjustments are you guys comfortable making um, when you're shooting an 18-meter game? And for <laughs> I've seen some of the adjustments that John makes, so I'm, <laughs> I'll let him start with it. Uh, usually, the safest adjustments um, and the, the most common adjustments I make are usually because of lighting. The one called I shoot in... Uh, the way the lights are set up uh, could change my impact um, just based on what lane I'm in. So it's almost always like clockwork. If I shoot at this one club, go to the next club for a shoot, I'm going to have to move stuff. And I have to move stuff fairly quick. Um, and it's usually just a slight plunger adjustment, whether I uh, roll out the whole barrel a full turn or just tighten up the tension a little bit. So that's, that's one of my biggest, um, well, my most common adjustment that I make at, at the 18-meter game is going from club to club and getting my arrow point moved over, you know, either from, like, the eight ring and trying to get it back over in the middle. Grayson? Uh, for, for me, um, I don't typically have to make a lot of adjustments left or right, and maybe that has to do with the way I aim. I don't lollipop. I kind of center the arrow over the gold. Um, 
but if I do, I do not hesitate to change my center shot, a half a turn or a turn. Um, I try to stay away from changing the plunger tension because that changes my tune more. Um, and I'm just looking for a little bit of left to right impact. I don't want to change the tune of the arrow. So I, I, I will change the, the center shot. Um, you can also change your string blur if you're really bold. I, I would not advise doing that unless you absolutely have to. Like if you show up at a tournament and you're hitting in the the one two ring off to the right, you're gonna have to make a lot of adjustment and you might not be able to get it off two hundred. Um, so you, you could move your string blur if, if necessary there. Um, but my most common adjustments are crawl. So I'll show up to some places and have to change my crawl by, you know, one or two small marks on the yoke tab. I don't know why. Maybe it's just the way I'm, you know, pulling the bow that day. Um, but I, I do find once I, I get that correct crawl, I'm consistent and can stay there, but you know, I have to find it first. Uh, that it may be a, a unique thing for me. I haven't heard of a lot of people having to do that, but... That would be my biggest adjustment, is changing my crawl up and down. Will either of you add or take away twists to mess with your brace height at all? During a tournament? No, I would never consider doing that. Check to make sure my brace height is where it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if, my, if I'm hitting way off, I'll, I'll check that. Or if I have to take the bow apart and put it together, like in Rome, um, I check my you know, brace height and killer every day. Um, but if I was hitting off and brace height was where it's supposed to be, I'm not going to put twists in the string or anything like that. Yeah, same with me. I, uh, I just like Grayson, just make sure it's set up properly um, before the shoot. Check the brace. Brace is good, then I won't touch it again. I, I can say that with a little bit um with the la in the last year i didn't i didn't know enough probably in the first six months to really make any adjustments and really get an idea of what it was um i would say now in my current you know confidence level definitely the plunger i it's i think the crawl is natural to change maybe one or two lines like grayson said i think every range just seems to have it's weird and it could be lighting, it could be just, you know, like you said, when you go into a different atmosphere and maybe you're just drawing a little bit different, anchoring a little bit different, um, who knows what that, what's changing that. It's weird, the lighting here where I shoot is sort of not easy to shoot in, it's easy once you get used to it, but I don't have a lot, of, I don't have a ton of left and right issues from from lighting yet. You know, and that could just be because I haven't shot a place yet that's either dark enough. Because where, where we shoot here at GHA, it's really bright. It's so bright to the point where the lights are. You have shadows that almost come off both sides of the arrows. And for some people, that messes with people. You know, and they get bent out of shape over the over lighting and stuff like that. And that's beyond a tuning issue, I guess, in reality. But, you know, plunger, crawl... Um, and I mean, I, for me, that's, that's all I'm really comfortable really messing with. If I have something good before, before the tournament, you know, chances are the problem really isn't the bow. It's me. So I would say that's, that about covers number one. You guys agree? The second part of Shane's question is overcoming the need 
to shoot a lot of warm-up arrows when most events only allow two warm-up. On the USA archery side, I believe the rule is, is that you're actually not supposed to have access to the range or shoot on the range that a sanctioned event is is being held prior. I don't know what the time frame is there, if there is one. I mean, I would think with an archery shop that has one range, if people are shooting up until a start time or something like that, you know, I don't know what the leeway is there, but, you know, do you guys feel more confident when you're able to go, like, just hypothetically, we'll use Lancaster Archery. They have two ranges. They have a practice range that you can come as early as you need to and go over and practice and then come over and get ready for the tournament. Do you feel more comfortable? Does it really matter for you anymore at the point in time that you're at um, compared to going to a... A large tournament where you got two ends and that's it and then it's score I mean I think I definitely feel more comfortable I'm able to warm up and practice beforehand uh, but that being said I've shot my best scores with only two warm-up ends mm. that tournament scores with only two warm-up ends so maybe at this point it's not a big factor for me but I would prefer to have more practice if available um, but you just got to make do with, with what you you have. If it's only two ends, um, try to stretch and you know get your shoulders and arms worked out before you you know start your your practice end. And in your practice end, try to shoot four or five arrows if you can. Um, I could probably shoot six if I if I really try. But definitely four or five both ends. Um, try to make them strong shots so you can see if you're hitting the center. And don't be afraid to make quick adjustments. If you notice your, your first two arrows are way off to the right or way low, make a quick adjustment. Don't think, oh, you know, maybe it'll come back. Make the quick adjustment to get the arrows in the center because you don't have a lot of time to play around. John? Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same boat. Like, now it's not going to matter as much as it used to. <clears throat> and I'll kind of bring that back to a topic that we already touched upon is, is alignment. Um, once you develop that good alignment, good consistent alignment, I think you, you'll start running into the less of a need to have a lot of warm-ups. Mm -hmm. um, warm-ups for me now are more of, like Grayson said, just stretching out and make sure, making sure I'm hitting down the line, make sure I got my right height lined up and uh, the left and right. Um, and some of that that you can curve or curve out um, would be doing those simple, a lot of the simple exercises that we used to do in gym class. You know, do some like arm rotations and stuff just to get everything warmed up and, and limber. Um, especially as you get you get to the older side like me or the really older side like Frank, it's very <laughs> important that we <laughs> we stretch out a little bit <laughs> and get warmed up. Whether it be you know just simple calisthenics or just uh, you know arm bands. Yeah, I was. I've actually contemplated putting a video together with some of the warm-ups that we used to use that I currently use um, and write on the board for, for my archery team because when they come in to our archery range, first thing they may do is shoot like six or nine uh, warm-up shots. So they'll just shoot blind bail and then they'll actually physically go do the warm-ups. And the warm-ups are really more in the form of a lightweight stretch band exercise than they are like they're not stretches, they're actual movements. And that's something that people need to know that 
you know, just stretching doesn't do you any good when your muscles are cold. You need to have your muscles semi-warm. So use a stretch band and maybe I'll throw a video together here in the near future, you know, doing some of the movements and showing what they should be doing at, at a minimum, what they should be doing before they get started with shooting. Because, and that's probably a key component to this question is, if you don't have a lot of opportunity or any opportunity to shoot beforehand, then get a stretch band and run your shot shot process with the stretch band. If you need that those extra um, repetitions and you aren't able to stand at the shooting line and do it, I mean I've been I've seen shooters do it for years. Probably every tournament you go to, you watch, especially some of the older generations, older than me. Thank you very much, John Demmer. Um, you know, the guys will stand up at the shooting line in between lines getting started with a stretch band and they'll just run their shot process in there. I mean, you can run your release. You can you can do the mental imagery of, of aiming and, and run your shot that way to help get through or get over that hump of the necessity to have, you know, four, six, ten, who knows, however many ends prior to starting the event. You know, so that's that's definitely not every not everywhere you go is gonna you're gonna have the luxury of shooting uh, in a practice range. So you gotta find ways to you gotta find ways to make it work. I mean, he says about overcoming the need to shoot a lot of warm ups. That's a confidence thing. I think once and like you said, reverting back to the alignment. Once you get the alignment squared away, and you're running a confident shot, the the necessity to to shoot all of those warm-up arrows is going to slowly diminish to the point where you're just able to pick it up and go because your shot is so repeatable. I think John makes a good point with the alignment thing. Uh, if, if you're in good alignment and you're bone on bone, the shot's going to be the same pretty much every time. If you're relying more on muscle, you're not in good alignment, it might take you a little while to find what's working for you that day. So being in good alignment can definitely shave off some of those warm-up shots that you think you need. Yeah, absolutely. I think we talked about that in the video quite a bit, too, just how, how that promotes a more repeatable shot. And that's repeatable whether it's in the beginning, the middle, or the end of the tournament. MXSWings.com. Fill up the shopping cart and enter promo code BEARBOATPROJECT20. That's one word. BEARBOATPROJECT20 and get 20% off. Give them a try. Excess Wings. You shoot the stories, we just help. Hashtag Excess Wings for life. Head over to Yoast, Y-O-S-T, ArchieProducts.com. Click on Shop. Go to their Pro Tabs, their Brass Pro Tabs. Follow their social media and make sure that you check out their specials that come up. Constantly throwing out new colors and options for the barebell shooter. Yoast Archery Products, small company owned by two barebell shooters that absolutely love the sport. You could also contact them at YoastArcheryProducts.com, Yoast at YoastArcheryProducts.com, and 717 659 9863.